Here's what I know is true about everybody in this room. You know, we just had our graduates come up to the front this morning. This would certainly be true in your lives. But I believe it's true for all of us. Every one of us, we're thinking about in some area, what comes next? What comes next? What's next in my family? What's next in my relationship with my kids? What's next for my grandchildren? What's next in this relationship? What's next for my career? What's next for our location? What's next for my health? What's next for my education? Brendan Casey, God has certainly brought you through a season of pursuing him. And as you've asked the question, God, what's next? Maybe there's been a crisis. Maybe something unexpected has come your way, something that you never saw coming. And now you're asking, what's next? How are we going to navigate this? As we make these decisions about what's next, here's a question for every one of us this morning. Who around you is allowed to speak into your decisions when you consider what comes next? And that's the permission that you get to give. Who have you decided is allowed to speak into your life as you think about what comes next? And this is where we come back to our two-word theme phrase for the year 2021 that we've been praying over the church for this year. We've come back to in different messages throughout the year 2021. And the two-word theme phrase is live connected. Live connected. We are coming out of a season. There's supposed to be a full reopening this week. We're coming out of a season, though, where for a year plus, there has been so much pressure to live isolated, to live disconnected. So we have been believing that this would be a year where we would live connected, live connected to Christ, live connected to God, live the Father, live connected to the Holy Spirit. And for this morning, we're going to talk about living connected to people. Living connected to people. So I ask you this question to think about. As you think about what's coming next, as you're praying about what's coming next in your life, I ask you the question, who is allowed to speak into your life when you're thinking about, praying about what comes next? And here's what I know is true, and some of you, some of us would say that we've lived this and we've learned from experience. If the answer is no one, if we would say that no one is allowed to speak into our life, the destination is disaster. When we're at a place when no one is allowed to speak into our life, where that's headed is disaster. At the end of our time together this afternoon, I want to give you some practical steps that you can apply to whatever decision you're facing about what comes next. But at the very beginning, we can see that if our answer is that no one is allowed to speak into my life, that is headed to disaster. And this concept is not something that I just thought up. It actually comes right from God's word, Proverbs 18.1. Proverbs 18.1, this is our key verse for, for today. Whoever isolates himself, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. 
Let's grab a few phases from, phrases from this verse. Isolates himself. This means we're not forced into isolation by someone else. Isolating yourself, this is you or I making the decision to intentionally separate ourselves from God or other people. The phrase seeks his own desire. The result of, of being isolated, making the decision to self-isolate, is that we seek our own desires, even if pursuing those personal desires has the potential to hurt us or to hurt other people. And then we see the, the phrase, breaks out against all sound judgment. To isolate and pursue what's only best for number one puts you in conflict with sound judgment. It puts us in opposition to even common sense. It puts us at odds with wisdom. You know this, you've lived it in the past, maybe in some way you're living this right now. Dad says, what you're about to do, it's not a good idea. Your best friend says, what you're about to do, it's not a good idea. Your grandmother maybe even sends you a text, and she's figured out how to send emojis. So your grandmother sends you a text with emojis, and she says, what you're about to do, it's not a good idea. Maybe you've come to church, or you've listened to some uh, message, or you've read something, and it's like it was written or spoken just to you, and the message is, what you're about to do is not a good idea. Perhaps you've even done a Google search. What does the Bible have to say about this? And the Bible clearly says what you're about to do. It's not a good idea. So all these people around us, people who care about us, they're saying this is not a good idea. Don't do this. You're going to regret this. It's not worth it. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Even with all those voices speaking into your life, you might be thinking, but I really want to leave the home. I really want to co-sign that loan. I really want to drop out. I really want to beat him up. I really want to move in with her. I really want to quit everything and just stay at home and play video games all day. So if you get to that point and you're gonna, going to proceed, even though everybody around you is saying it's not a good idea, what you're doing is you're isolating yourself and you're putting yourselves at odds with common sense, with what the Bible describes as sound judgment. We've all... We all have some version of a situation where we would say, looking back, we would say, I really wish I would have listened. I really wish I would have listened. We also perhaps have uh, our, uh, an experience from our own life where we were heading down a path that we know now was destructive. And right at maybe the moment right before what we would describe as a point of no return, someone, maybe a loving parent or grandparent or a friend or a teacher, someone pulled us aside and said, this is an uncomfortable conversation. But what you're about to do, it's not a good idea. As much as you may think that what you're about to do is a good idea, I'm telling you it's not a good idea. And what you may have done now is you've gone back to that person and you have said, thank you. Thank you for pulling me aside. I was about to do something that I know now that if I had done it, it really would have cost me a lot. Thank you for being a person who was willing to say something uncomfortable to me. Thank you. 
thank you. And if you have that story, even though it was difficult in the moment, looking back, you are grateful for the one who was willing to speak into your life. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Now, in case you're thinking, this is an obscure verse that Tom has just grabbed out of the Bible to make his point. I want to show you that this is not one verse. It is a recurring theme in God's word. Check this out. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors there is safety. Proverbs fifteen twenty two: Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. I'll keep going. Proverbs 24.6, for by wise guidance you can wage your war and in an abundance of counselors there is victory. These proverbs taken together show us that the path to wisdom, safety, success, and victory is advice, counselors, instruction, and guidance. And so the opposite must be true. The path to foolishness and failure is isolation. We may already know this from experience. There are times that we do not ask for advice, counsel, instruction, or guidance. Why? Because we know what they're going to say. And we know they're right. So instead of asking them what we're supposed to do, knowing that they're going to tell us what we need to hear, we say, I don't want to hear that, so I'm just not going to ask. My encouragement for all of us today is that we would live connected to people who will speak wisdom, instruction, and advice into our life. We are better as a church community when each of us live connected to people who will speak wisdom, instruction, and advice into our life. So why is this a recurring theme in in the Bible, especially as we've highlighted in Proverbs? This theme of not living isolated, living connected. Well, it's not just what's said, it's who said it and when they said it. Who is the primary author of Proverbs? Solomon. Some historians and theologians will tell us that there were additional authors who contributed to Proverbs, but we know that the themes all go back to Solomon. Solomon is famous because the Lord appeared to him in, in a dream, and he said, what, you can have anything you want. What do you want? And Solomon, very famously, he asked for wisdom. Of all the things that Solomon could have asked for, he didn't ask for more gold and silver. He didn't ask for a hundred or a thousand chariots with a platinum package. He didn't wish for more wishes. Solomon asked for wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 9. Here's Solomon's request. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? God grants Solomon's request for wisdom. 
So why would Solomon in this book of wisdom called Proverbs, why, do we, why would he keep coming back to this theme that isolation leads to foolishness and failure? Well, here is a potential reason, perhaps one of the reasons that Solomon would keep highlighting this. It comes from his own family. Who is Solomon's dad? David. Uh, let's see if you know this one. Who is Solomon's mom? Few of you knew the answer, but still correct. Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba. If their story were to be made into a Netflix movie, this is a movie that you would watch after the kids go to bed. The story of David and Bathsheba would be very difficult to make into a Bible sing-along cartoon movie. Do you wonder, did Solomon ever come to his dad and say, Dad, how did you meet Mom? Many of you know what happened. Here's a refresher, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. The leaders, the advisors, the generals, the military ranks, the support team, they all left, but David remained in Jerusalem. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. David is alone in Jerusalem. David was separated from the people who would speak wisdom, warning, advice, and guidance into his life. David is on the palace balcony. He looks down and he sees what he's not supposed to see. And David finds out that that beautiful woman taking a bath is actually the wife of one of the great warriors in his army. After learning the information that Bathsheba is married and her husband is actually away fighting David's battles, David orders, not requests, he orders that Bathsheba be brought to him. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So David comes together with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. David panics. He attempts to cover up. He brings Bathsheba's husband Uriah back from war and uh, tries to get Uriah to go into the house so that it could be, th they could possibly think the child is not David's, it's, it's Uriah's. But David is uh, Uriah. Uriah is a man of integrity in this moment. And he says, how can I, how can I possibly go into the house when all of my fellow soldiers are out at battle. No, I'm going to actually sleep here on the front step. I'm not going to go in and enjoy the pleasures of my home. So this, the, this doesn't work. So David escalates things and he sends Uriah back to, to battle and he sends orders that when the enemy is advancing that Uriah is actually supposed to be sent to the front. And as the attacking army is uh, coming near, the commanders are supposed to pull everybody back except for Uriah, leaving Uriah out there all by himself. And what happens? Uriah dies in battle. There are many points in this series of historical events where someone could say, David, don't do this. David, you will regret this. David, you made a mistake, but please, you're only making it worse by trying to cover it up. Bathsheba mourns Uriah, then she moves into the palace. She gives birth to David's child. 
that child becomes sick and dies. So in the polite language of the Bible, we're told that David and Bathsheba, they come together again, and she gets pregnant again, and this time she gives birth to Solomon. But it was not happily ever after. The Bible tells us as a result of David's decision, David invited division and conflict and violence into his family, into his household, and David would live with that conflict for the rest of his life. Solomon, growing up, eventually learns the story of his father and mother, and Solomon lives in the middle of family conflict, the family conflict that followed, and eventually Solomon would write, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So if isolation leads to foolishness, and failure. Think with me for a minute about the opposite. Consider the opposite. Whoever pursues advice and puts others first lives in agreement with common sense. The path to wisdom, safety, success, and victory is advice, counselors, instruction, and guidance. You might say, thinking about Jesus, well, it's, if I remember correctly, there are times when Jesus was isolated. What we're going to see is that, yes, Jesus did spend time by himself, but he, didn't, he never lived an isolated life. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place. See, right there, Jesus is isolated. No. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray to pray, Jesus separated himself from people for the purpose of connecting with his heavenly Father. One of the many great outcomes of having a personal relationship with your heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, lived out by reading the Bible and praying, is that God gives wisdom. God gives wisdom. And please, do not take my word for it. Look, look at what is written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will, it will be given to him. Meaning that you can always ask God for wisdom, and he's always willing to give it. In fact, he's going to give that wisdom generously. He's never going to be upset with you for asking him for wisdom. Praise God. God, give me wisdom about what to do next. Here's what many of us have experienced. Reading the Bible, praying, talking to Christ, talking to Christ followers brings clarity when deciding what to do next. Reading the Bible, praying, and talking to Christ followers brings clarity when deciding what to do next. The Holy Spirit speaks in unity. Don't miss this next part. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As you're praying, as you're reading the Bible, as you're seeking advice from people who love Jesus, you will begin to experience a common thread in where God is leading you. God is not going to speak one thing to you in prayer and then contradict himself in his word, and then contradict himself by speaking something different to those who you've asked to pray for you. The Holy Spirit brings unity. 
God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. You're going to start to see a common thread where there's agreement between what God says to you in prayer, agreement in what he says in his word, and agreement in what the praying people around you say. The main point for today is this, live connected to God and people who love God. Live connected to God and people who love God. Many of us, looking back at the choices that we wish that we maybe could make over again, when we made that bad choice, we probably would not say, you know what the problem was? The problem is that the Bible just didn't have anything to say about the situation that I was in. The problem is, is that there was no Jesus people, Jesus-loving people in my life who were willing to give me advice or pray for me. That was the real problem. You know, the problem was is that I prayed about that decision and I asked others to pray with me and I really regret praying over what I was about to do. In a moment of honesty, when we consider the decisions that we could make over again, we more likely will say the Bible did have something to say about what I decided to do. I just decided to ignore it. We most likely would say there were Jesus-loving people in my life. I just chose not to ask them to pray for me. Or when they did give me their advice, I chose not to follow their advice. And we likely would admit that in those moments that we wish we could have decided differently, that we either didn't pray at all or didn't pray very much about that choice. And just by statistical probability, there is a high chance that there is at least one person in the room that you would say that you are in the middle of a mess right now. You made a decision that you cannot undo. Maybe you're in a moment like David and you're thinking, well, do I try to cover this up? How can I manipulate the situation so my reputation remains clean? How can I pass the blame off to somebody else? Well, anyone reading the historical account of David and Bathsheba can see that the events would have been much better if at any point in the series of events, David had stopped, confessed what he had done, and endured a short-term fallout, pain, and embarrassment for long-term restoration. In each of our lives today, we all have at least one area where we're thinking about what comes next. It could be because there's been a crisis, and now you're thinking, what do I do next? There's been a diagnosis. Well, how am I going to handle, handle this? What am I going to do next? What's next for my family? What's next for my vocation? What's next for my location? And because it rhymes, maybe what's next for my vacations? Many of you know that I went into broadcast journalism after graduating college and I worked in that field for several years before God called me in to ministry. Well, early in my television career, I was riding in a car, and in that car I was with my friend and my friend's praying, spirit-filled mom. Praise God for praying, spirit-filled moms. So my friend's praying, spirit-filled mom, she said to me, this is uh, young in my career, uh, Tom, at the time, she said, Tom, what do you think is next for you in your career? And knowing that this was a praying, spirit-filled mom, in that moment, I gave her a very spiritual answer. I said, I am ready, ready to go wherever God leads me. And at that moment, she slammed on the brakes, and she stopped the car, and she said, no, Tom. Okay, she may not have slammed on the brakes and stopped the car. I may have added that for dramatic effect, but it has been several years, so. But I do know that she said no. 
And here's why I remember the conversation. Because she said, Tom, I believe that you are beginning to think about, God is even downloading where he wants you to be next, what you think may be next for your career. And she said, Tom, you need to begin praying for the specific things that are on your heart. You're going to pray, either God confirm that where I think this is going, that's where you have me going. Either confirm this is what's going next, where this is going next, or that God would close the doors. She even encouraged me, uh, the more specific that you can get in your prayer, the better. That way, it will be extra clear if it's either from God or not from God. I said I want to give you practical application that you can use when thinking about what may be next for you and for your family. Well, here it is. Write what you think is next. Put it in writing. Write it down. Write down. This is where I think this is leading. This is what I think is what I'm supposed to do next. This is what we think we're supposed to do next. Write it down. Write what you think is next. Seek what the Bible says. Get into God's Word. Do a Google search. What does God's Word have to say about this? Read God's Word. God's Word is alive and active. Write what you think is next. Seek what the Bible says. Pray for God's wisdom. Pray for God's wisdom. God's Word tells us that He will give us wisdom abundantly. And he'll never be angry with us for asking him for wisdom. In fact, he invites us to ask him. Write what you think is next. Seek what the Bible says. Pray for God's wisdom. Ask for advice from people who love Jesus and love you. Ask for advice from people who love Jesus and love you. For some of us, what we are thinking about doing next the simple act of writing it down or putting it in a note in our iPhone and looking at the text, it will immediately become clear, this is not a wise decision. Write down, close all bank accounts, take all funds to Vegas Casino. Oh, now that I see it in writing, I realize this is not a good idea. I maybe thought that there was rationale behind this. Now I see clearly this is not a good idea. There is never a scenario where God will tell you to do that. God told me to take it and put it all on red. It will never happen. That is never from God. We cannot undo what's been done, but we can be wise about what comes next. If you're in the early stages about thinking what comes next, if you're in the early stages in thinking about what comes next, this is the best time to go through the steps we just talked about. Write it down, seek what the Bible says, pray for God's wisdom, ask for people who love Jesus and love you to give you advice and to pray about what you're going through. Maybe you've started down a path and it's not, you know that where this is heading, it's not heading in a good direction. But you're at a place in that path where you can still shut it down. And, and, and you can say to a friend right now, a Jesus-loving friend, you can say, I've, I've made some initial steps down a path, and I can already see that if I keep going, it's not going to end well. 
Help me stop this right now before it proceeds any farther. Or maybe you're at a place today where you would say, I'm, I can identify with David because I've taken, I've made a series of decisions and it's taken me past what I might describe as a point of no return. Okay, now what do I do next? And for you, what do I do next is what is, what I've, what I've done cannot be undone. What's next for restoration? God, what's next for reconciliation? When we think about the story of David and Bathsheba, and some of you have already been thinking about this. Well, yes, David made these series of bad choices that he wished that he could have undone. That maybe looking back, he wished he had, a, he had decided differently. But you're also thinking, well, if David had not made those sequence of choices, Solomon would never have been born. And Solomon was supposedly the wisest person who ever lived. Well, here's what I know about many of our stories. There are things that if we were to advise someone else, we would say, don't do it the way that I did it. If we were to do it all over again, we would have made different choices. But what we've also experienced is that God has redeemed and God has restored. God has taken our broken mess and he's put it back together in a way that we never could have assembled it on our own. Maybe you're even looking at your own family situation, looking at a son or a daughter, and maybe you've never quite known how to tell them the story. And you would say to them, you know, if I were to go back, don't do it the way that I have done it. If I could have chosen differently, I wouldn't have chosen the same path. If I could have done it differently, I would have surrounded myself with people who love Jesus. I would have prayed more. I would have looked in the word more. But here's what I know. God has brought something beautiful out of the brokenness. And maybe someone in here, you need to look at your son or daughter and say, God did not make a mistake. God made you on purpose and for a purpose. Then he selected me to be your parent. God has a great plan for your life. God is gonna use your life. Praise God that he is a God of reconciliation and restoration and that he can pick up the pieces and put them back together again. And that when we surrender it over to him, what he can do with those, what he can do with that is amazing. And we're gonna believe that the story is not done yet. The story, there's still more to be written. Praise God. And we believe that we're gonna see great things in our families. We're gonna see great things in people's church. We're gonna see great things in our story, in our city, as we write it down. As we pray, God, give us wisdom. As we seek his word for guidance. And as we surround ourselves with people who love us and who love Jesus. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus today. 
We're so thankful, Lord, that, abund that there is an abundance of wisdom available for anyone who will ask. So we're asking for it today. Father, you know the one who's under pressure today because if they're in a crisis. Maybe there's a deadline to make a choice. Maybe they're looking at a broken, messy situation and, and it doesn't seem clear. How am I going to put this back together? We come to you saying, Father, here I am. What's next? Father, give us discernment. We know that there are some people who are going to have the potential to take what we bring to them confidentially and to gossip about it. Father, give us wisdom to bring our story, bring our heart to those that we can trust to pray with us, to pray for us, and to speak godly advice. Father, help us to learn from decisions that we know we would do it differently if we could do it all over again. And Father, we're here to say thank you. Thank you for your past faithfulness and the way that you've taken messy situations and you've restored them in a beautiful, God-honoring, Christ-centered way. Thank you, Lord. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Even when, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop. Even when, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, oh my God, that is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, oh my God, that is who you are. 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 You are. I want to follow the Spirit's lead in this moment. If you're in this place today and you'd say, I need to know what to do next. I don't know what to do. Maybe I have a couple options. I don't know which is the best option. Maybe I feel like I don't 
have any options. I don't know what to do. If you are in a place today where you are asking God, God, what do I do next? I want you to come out of your row, come from the balcony. I want you to come down to this altar. I want to pray with you before we leave this place. We're going to do this quickly. That's right. Come, come out from your row. If, if you're blocked on either side, say, excuse me, I'd like to go down to the altar. Pastors, I want you to surround these people and just lay a hand on their shoulder. That's right. If you want to come, you're, you're saying, what? I don't know what to do next. I need God's wisdom. I need God's direction. I want to know what to do next. You can fill out down here. There's empty space in the altar down here. That's right. There's still more coming. Come right down to the altar. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. Pastors, just begin to pray over these people as they're at the altar. As the pastors are praying over these friends, and if you want to come, that's not too late. You're saying, God, I want to know what to do next. Please come forward. Maybe you're here in this place today, and you're saying, I don't know what to do next when it comes to my relationship with my Heavenly Father. I know what the wise decision is. The wise decision is today to declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you want to make that decision today, you want to declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've never made that decision, and today you want to make a first-time commitment or recommitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to also step out of your row. I want to go down there, and I want to make a decision for Jesus today. Say to the person next to you, will you go with me? Or excuse me, I want to go down to the altar today, and I want to give my life to Christ. Who in this room does that mean? Step out of your row, come down, give your life to Christ today. Maybe you're already here at the altar saying you want to give yourself, your, you want to give your life to Christ today. That's right, don't be ashamed. We're here, we're with you, we're for you. You're among friends. This is a place of hope. We're cheering for you. Thank you for anyone in this place or who's watching online that wants to give their life to Christ today. We know that what we need to do in that moment is just say, Father in heaven, I realize that my sin, it's hurt me and it's hurt others and it's separated me from you. So right now I declare Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's right, tell your heavenly Father, today I declare Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And say, thank you, God, for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for restoring me. Thank you for giving me hope. Father, I pray over each one who's at the altar here today. Father, you know the decisions that are represented in this, in this altar. And maybe there's someone who's still in, in their pew, whatever they may be, they're praying about what comes next. God, what do I do next? Father, I pray that right now that you would begin to speak clarity into their heart. Father, maybe these are decisions that have kept them up at night. They've been wrestling with. They've caused sleepless nights. Their friends have said, you seem distracted. And for whatever reason, they haven't been able to say it out loud. Father, I pray that you would guide each one of these friends to Jesus-loving family members and friends, mentors, parents, who will pray with them and pray for them. And as a result, there would be a, a clarity there would be a unity in what they sense you saying to them in prayer, what your word says, and what 
those who are giving godly advice around them are saying, thank you for clarity. Thank you for clarity. Thank you for making that next step obvious and distinct. And we also say thank you for perfect timing. I'm also prompted that there may be a situation here where husband is, believes there's a different direction than wife. There's a difference in what family members are sensing and there's created conflict. We believe you are a God of unity and a God of clarity and you're, Father, we know you're not gonna give different direction to husband and wife. So Father, I pray that there would be a surrendering if there's any pride involved, that that pride would be broken down in the name of Jesus, and that you would speak clearly to the heart and mind of husband and wife. We surrender this decision to you, believing that you are going to guide and direct, and that you are going to bring this couple, bring this family through this situation, not in division, but in unity. We worship you, Lord. And we thank you that you are so in love with us that you want to guide and direct our steps. That you see a picture that is much bigger than we know and that your way is always the best way.